These are just some of the festive sounds heard at the Long Beach Gay Pride Parade in early May 2015. But there were five attendees marching in the parade who had never heard these sounds before. They were more used to hearing rallies like this. It's because of the way somebody is brought up. That's why I said I'm now going to sign the bill because I am convinced with the available information that these people are not born like that. They just learn and they can unlearn what they have learned. We all agree that promotion of homosexuality is wrong. We all agree that recruitment of our children into this terrible behavior is flat out wrong. That was the President of Uganda and the Prime Minister of Uganda at a 2014 rally in support of a piece of Ugandan legislation that would have made promotion of homosexuality a crime punishable by time in prison with the death penalty for repeat offenders. Evangelical Christian missionaries from the United States played a role in bringing the law to the Ugandan legislative body. The law, in its harshest form, was deemed unconstitutional on a technicality by the Ugandan courts. But the climate the evangelical groups helped to create made Uganda an African nation so prosperous and peaceful that many white South Africans have moved there, such an inhospitable and dangerous place that many LGBT Ugandans had to flee on pain of death or imprisonment. Their stories can be quite harrowing, even when read as anonymized profiles by Kelly Godger, the deputy director in the Office of Admissions at the State Department's Bureau of Population, Refugees and Migration, also known as PRM, in Washington. But the first we'll call Pamela. She's a 24-year-old Ugandan female. Growing up, she lived with her parents and siblings in Uganda. She and her girlfriend were suspended from school for a time when a love letter between the two of them was discovered. And then when her father learned of the reason, Pamela was told not to return home from boarding school because he didn't want her teaching her siblings about lesbianism. Uh, later in life, she was fired on the spot from a job after her manager discovered that she was a lesbian. She was living with her uh, girlfriend in another town in Uganda when they became victims of a violent homophobic attack. They fled to Kenya in uh, late 2013. Like most refugees, they were sent up to Kakuma refugee camp uh, where things didn't go so well. After receiving threats in the camp from refugees of other nationalities when they became aware that they were lesbians, Pamela and her girlfriend moved back to Nairobi and they were resettled together to the United States in early 2015. In April, five Ugandan LGBT refugees arrived in Long Beach, California, a city of 400,000 in the South Bay of Los Angeles County that, in 2014, elected an openly gay mayor. Though Long Beach has the largest gay population in the United States after San Francisco, the five Ugandans did not set out to come to Long Beach. As Glenn Peterson, the CEO of World Relief, the volunteer agency in Garden Grove, California, working with the State Department to place the refugees explains, it is rarely a refugee's intention to abandon their home country at all. It's interesting as we listen to the stories of a lot of refugees who end up in a second country, they um, often when they first arrive there, their first thought is, we're gonna go back home pretty soon. You know, things are gonna settle down there. We're gonna wait it out here and we wanna go back home. They're not thinking about going to Sweden or um, uh, Finland or, Germany or England or the United States, they're thinking, we want to go back home. That's, you know, we have friends there. We have, you know, things have got to settle down. Then it, it turns out, you know, there's just not, it's not going to happen. Um, things aren't getting better there. They're getting worse, you know, in any of these countries. And then they think, 
well, we've started to settle here. We started to form a life. Maybe we could stay in this new country, in Kenya or, or Jordan. But the reality is there's so many people there that it, that's not going to happen either. They realize living in a camp isn't going to work. Um, there's no way to get legal status in that country. So then they start looking beyond to a third country for a durable solution. And that's when the UNHCR and the U.S. State Department and others uh, start figuring out, you know, where, where can we send these various kinds of people, uh, you know, from wherever they are, whatever their reasons are, as long as they qualify um, under the Refugee Act to become uh, refugees, they start looking for places in the U.S. Or, or other countries for them to go. Looking for a place for them to go is no easy task. Refugee candidates come to the PRM's attention as referrals from the U.N. High Council on Refugees. Fewer than 1% of those referrals qualify to be placed in the United States. The candidates wait in refugee camps for 24 months through the approval process. Then the State Department volunteer agencies, such as World Relief, search to find an appropriate region for the refugees to be placed. You know, all over Southern California, we've got friends uh, who've, who've done this for years. And I've been learning about, you know, more stories from, from all of them. When we, when we realized that some of the, the folks that were coming uh, just recently were LGBT, we did, we did have some friends in Long Beach. and We were, were aware of the community in Long Beach. So we started that conversation with, with churches and friends that we already had there. And we realized that some of the people that we knew already were welcoming and affirming. I mean, you don't always have that conversation with people until there's a reason to have a conversation about it. And then um, they introduced us to some more people um, and some more churches. And it just, Long Beach is a really exciting area for me because the energy around helping the new refugees ha has been great. The very first hurdle for LGBT refugees is having the courage to speak up. Kelly Godger from PRM explains how the State Department tries to make that easier. Sure, and this is an issue that the United States government has been working on over the last couple of years, making sure that both our offices, our resettlement support centers, and the UNHCR offices that, have to, that refer cases to the U.S. Uh, resettlement program are sensitive in terms of dealing with LGBT refugees. Um, Many of these offices, if you walk into them, you will find, uh, you know, uh, posters on the wall with rainbows on them, you know, saying this is a safe space. If you're LGBT or if you have other issues you'd like to talk to us about, uh, they will be treated confidentially um, and uh, without judgment. Now, the challenge is that some people don't believe that. And as you say, um, perhaps a, a, a gay Syrian refugee who is sitting in front of a Jordanian caseworker in Amman may not feel comfortable uh, revealing their LGBT status. Um, many, of, many LGBT individuals don't feel comfortable revealing their status until way after they've gotten to the United States. They won't even reveal it to their resettlement agency when they arrive. So different people feel comfortable providing that information at different phases. Um, for this group of LGBT Ugandans in Kenya, they did feel very comfortable and are very open uh, with their LGBT status, both when they're talking to, they were talking to UNHCR in Kenya and when they spoke to our resettlement support center staff in Kenya. While the Long Beach resettled LGBT Ugandans felt comfortable revealing their status as part of the refugee candidate process, 
and felt comfortable marching in the Long Beach Gay Pride Parade, they did not feel comfortable talking to me for this audio piece. Instead, I spoke to two congregants at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in downtown Long Beach, Tom Crow and Amy Villanzuela-Meyer. St. Luke's was the lead gay-friendly church to which World Relief reached out when looking to place the Ugandans in Long Beach. Tom has two of the Ugandan lesbians living with him, and Amy is acting as a guide for all of them. Amy explains their reticence to be recorded. Okay, you spoke about fear, and can you explain for our listeners the reason why I'm talking to you and not them, and exactly why they were reticent? Yes, um, as to as far as I understand, um, the threat is very real, very imminent, very present in Uganda right now. Um, even though the Kill the Gays law was struck down, and the some of the U.S. evangelicals who had an influence on the creation of that law have since at least sort of publicly recanted and withdrawn their support of such things um, there's still a lot of momentum that's been created and so there's new legislation being introduced all the time and whether it passes or not it has created an incredibly dangerous climate for LGBT people in throughout the country of Uganda and, and really in many um, African countries when these people were um Realize that it had become too dangerous for them and their families. They fled and then had to deal also with threat of violence where they were seeking help until they were able to come to the United States. Um, and being here um, and being potentially thrust into the public eye still presents a danger for them. I mean, we are ever-present with social media, and it's quite easy um, to be linked to any kind of activity where um, if you are, I think, proclaiming yourself to be an LGBT, you would still be persecuted. And if not you, if you're not there, then potentially your family as well. Physical violence to themselves, their partners, and their family members are just one aspect of the trauma through which Ugandan refugees are working with the assistance of World Relief and their church hosts. Tom, Amy, and other supportive congregants from St. Luke's and other Long Beach open and affirming churches offer spiritual support and a welcoming community. World Relief offers services paid for by money from the federal government in the form of refugee cash aid, which is payments to the state of California to reimburse for welfare programs to which the Ugandans are obligated to sign up, and grants that allow World Relief to offer other program assistance. So so our, our program um, includes the, the resettlement and placement program, includes 90 days worth of services to the to the refugees um it includes you know transportation from the airport health screening uh application for a social security number and card um, application for social services which includes food stamps and cash aid so you know that first week is pretty intensive with appointments going here going there um we need to make sure that their housing is appropriate and safe we do a home inspection the the day after they arrive um we do um, ongoing case management with them. You know, most refugees within the first week, they've done a lot of the, the stuff. Some are still struggling. We don't want anybody to languish for lack of uh, knowledge of where to, to, to go. Uh, a lot of refugees need to get enrolled in English as a second language, ESL classes. Um, and so a lot of that is in the first 30 days. At, at 30 days, we we take a look at our list of required services, uh, you know, kind of check off everything and make sure that uh, things are going well. Um, employment is a big deal. So um, most refugees are not employed within 30 days. 
But at 90 days, then we, we re-evaluate each refugee's situation and circumstances. And by 90 days, a lot of them have made huge progress. Some of them have started their first job. Um, not all, but some. Um, and some of them, uh, you know, who've gotten into English classes are very excited about that. Um, so anyway, the, the, the resettlement and placement program is a 90-day program. And we have a set of services that I just described to you that we make sure that we provide. The Preferred Communities Program that assists victims of trauma is a one-year program. So in that program, we keep in touch with people for one year to evaluate their progress um, based on their the, the, the trauma that they may have experienced previously, make sure that they're getting services there. So we have a 90-day program and then a one-year program uh, for the refugees. While overcoming trauma is part of the Uganda's adjustment process, it does not keep them from having hopes and aspirations for their life in their new country. When asked what their dreams were, Tom Crow gave a litany. Oh, everything from going to seminary and becoming a minister to uh, uh, working in, uh, one, one, one of them has a certificate in, uh, from the U.S. government in Iraq where she, uh, she was a um, um, security guard. Uh, she has that U.S. certificate. Uh, another, uh, others are looking at you know the different different jobs, but really just wanting to settle down, have their own place, have some some money, some independence. Another part of the adjustment process is learning how the ideal of the United States being the home of the free stacks up against the actual reality. I had a long talk with them, to be honest, about what it means to be black in America, and I warned them. <laughs> and they were like, well, no, this is America. The police will, will be okay with us, and blah, 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 because they weren't carrying their identification cards with them. <laughs> and I said, you really need to do that in the U.S. I'm not trying to scare you, but first of all, you have a greater chance of being stopped by the police because you're black. First of all. Second of all, you're going to open your mouth and they're going to say, what's that accent? And if you don't have any paperwork, you could be taken down to the police station and held by ICE until you can prove who you are and you, that you're illegally here. So um, we, we talked. I'm, I'm, um, so we had that, that long talk. And they are fascinated by African-American culture, but they're not they don't quite understand it. <laughs> but the biggest adjustment, as Amy Villanueva-Meyer explains, may be getting accustomed to good old rugged American independence. I mean, these are very young people, and their lives have been completely disrupted by um, having to flee, and, and for years prior to that, having to hide who they were. And so I think learning to have um, agency and being able to really make decisions um, among many options that you have um, is kind of new for people, although they were very successful people back in their home cities, they were often ha having to make choices to do things out of fear or fear for their, themselves or their families. And so having the ability to make decisions based on other things, I think is a, it's a big adjustment and one that will take some time. Just as the adjustments are many, so are the needs. The Ugandans came here from a refugee camp with very few possessions or material resources. Again, Tom Crow. Well, we have some really, some big needs and some little needs. I think a big need right now is for housing. Someone who has a little room in their heart and a little room in their home who could take in uh, one or two of the refugees uh, to help, you know, and offer some hopefully free rent for a few months so they can get a job, save up some money, get their first and last month's rent, and, and become independent. So that's one big need. Little needs are socialization. You know, I 
maybe have one view of American society, which is sometimes a little little radical. But but I want you know we want they want to meet other people to know about other Americans and other views and to be socialized and to you know see what it's like to uh, to be you know uh, living in in the United States. Tom and Amy say their co-congregants are happy to give. But it's not like they're not getting anything back. I'm a very privileged person, and I am not a vulnerable person. But if I felt attacked and unsafe and retreated because of Prop 8, then I think that now here's an opportunity for an opportunity for me to do something that's positive and empowered and it's time for me to do it i don't want another minute to pass by where people who are claiming to be christians can be so devastating and so hateful and cause so much damage around the world and if me a christian stays silent about it then i'm just as much to blame um, i think that it's great to just show this new group of people who we are and what it means to be an American and, and what it means for our particular brand of being an American and that um, they can shape that for themselves and they have every choice available to them to create the kind of life they want. But in the meantime, they're going to be welcomed in proper style and, um, you know, however people want to express that, I'm, I think it's a wonderful thing. This is Adriana Langston in Long Beach, California for The Benjamin Dixon Show. If your heart was touched by this story... Please visit TheBenjaminDictionShow.com for links to websites with information on how you can support the LGBT Ugandan new arrivals to the United States.